0: Ladies and gentlemen, good day and welcome to this edition of Pangea Talk's CEO series. Joining us today is Angelie Brown, the CEO of Frenovations. Frenovation is Canada's premier franchise consulting firm led by top experts with global experience. Frenovation specializes in franchise makeovers and strategic development. Some of the fascinating things you're going to learn from our guest today, Angelie Brown, the CEO of Frenovation, is how she's actually changing the world of franchise consulting in Canada. Welcome, Angeli, to Mangia Talks. Hmm.
1: Hello, Declan. Thank you so much. And I feel very welcome. I love that introduction. And hopefully we live up to that beautiful, glorious introduction that you provided.
0: Well, you've done a ton of great work to build a team that is, in my interpretation, stellar. So being glorious of what you do, I think it comes naturally. Because your team's got decades of experience, from what I understand, and cross-border experience, too, because folks on your team, I think, from my, um, uh, my research and actually meeting some of these folks, they're in the U.S., leading franchise work, and, uh, uh, and not only just members of your team yourself, you've worked with some of the biggest brands in the country, Tim Hortons, just to name one. I know Little Caesars uh, is, is one that's come up in conversation for us, and those are just a couple of the other big ones. Your background is quite rich with professional experience because you've also worked with another big brand um and not necessarily in the franchise consulting world but uh, in the human resources space aeon consulting i think is one of the places you've, you've spent some time so your depth of experience is, uh, is is rich and i'd love for our listeners to really get to know you a little bit more on the personal level as we we dive into this conversation and here's something i always i'm curious about when i talk to uh, to strong leaders Uh, And it's something I'm curious about you, Anjali. What is your personal secret to success?
1: What a great question. Um, Personal secret to success. I think for me, Declan, uh, just to be quite honest, is it's something that has evolved throughout the years. Uh, I think being nimble, And in my career, having many, many lives, I think in a sense of experiences has really helped me flourish. And I think back to when I was young and I was this very, I was the kid that nobody really knew what to do with. And we have talked about that a little bit in terms of I was involved with junior achievement and I was a very young leader and I was trying my best to find my way in the school system, right? And so when I became a young mother and I got married, and at that point I thought, I'm going to just be in a space where I'm going to have a house, I'm going to have a maybe a job and that's gonna be it. And I realized that very quickly that that deep rooted just curiosity that I had from the time, early as I can remember, was still there. And so what I ended up doing was just really finding myself through that tenacity, that burning passion. And I think having that passion is really what allows people to really jump into that, latch onto it, and to grow and develop whatever that passion is. And for me, it's been learning, it's been people, It's been driving people to see them succeed. It's been supporting uh, people as well and ensuring that we are doing the absolute best always and putting our best foot forward. And so, you know, I've, I've literally had these amazing experiences that I've been really fortunate, but I think part of it is, you know, you have to do the work as well. So at the end of the day, passion will take you so far, but you still need to execute. And learning how to execute efficiently and with a great plan is sort of been my secret sauce, I would say, throughout the years.
0: And I'm hearing passion. I'm hearing curiosity. You know, the <laughs> secret sauce. It's so I think most uh, most executives that I spend time with share that uh, that characteristic of, of remaining eternally curious um, and. And I always press deeper in these conversations because, you know, for me, I, I appreciate uh, an introductory conversation as much as the next person, but I find I get more value when I go layers deeper. So when you say curious, how does curiosity show up in your life? Like, how do you, like, what is unique about your level of curiosity or your type of curiosity as a leader?
1: (laughs) Well, um, I think in terms of my curiosity, I, I, <laughs> I, I. Okay. Well, I think we've I've shared this with you before, but I have always wanted to be Barbara Walters. You know, that was one of my dreams when I was young, and right. so I was fascinated with Barbara Walters, and I remember being this extremely shy kid, and um, even though I was curious, it was very introspective. So I was looking out the window and writing and journaling and. Creative writing, especially. So I I was published um, twice before I was nine years old, and by the time I was eleven, um, I was saying public. I was doing public speaking and saying speeches to military or to military members, to members of parliament. So I was doing all these really cool things, and so it was almost seeing the world around me. I think from a different lens, and not everybody shares in that same lens. And I think for me, internally, being able to appreciate. Um, and understand where that is coming from because as a young child, you don't understand. You, I, you make assumptions. I think we make assumptions every single day of our lives and our careers and in our personal lives. And I learned early on to never assume anything, <laughs> you know, and to uh, re- keep that childlike wonder. So keeping that curiosity and that, that the, the lens that how I see the world and how I see people At times I do feel that it is a little bit unique, you know, because when I get to know somebody, you know, my mind tends to go a couple steps further and I tend to see down that tunnel of understanding. Um, I'm very, you know, I think being a woman, especially in business, does lend to opportunities to allow for that empathy side of myself to come through. So, you know, being able to um, sense and feel uh, what's happening and reading the room, you know, I think that's always people talk about that when they go into a business setting or into a, a social setting and being able to network effectively. And, um, you know, that's something, again, you know, I, I, I had to work hard on, but I, I learned to develop throughout the years because I wasn't always that way. So, when it comes to that curiosity and how to keep it and what makes it unique, I think part of it is being born with that, but then developing it also into a sense of um, keeping that child, like I said, childlike wonder, and then also understanding that, you know, we are unique and respecting that as well.
0: You know, you said uh, Barbara Walters earlier, <laughs> and I know the person that you're referring to, to whom you're referring. And, um, you know, when I, I look at you and I spend time with you, in my humble interpretation, you're more of a, a Diane Sawyer in my in my eyes and a Barbara Walters um which is nothing wrong with Barbara Walters I, I just see Diane Sawyer in you more and you know it reminds me as we're talking about Diane Sawyer that uh she had a, a pretty powerful statement about uh about life and getting what you want and going after what you want which in some ways reminds me of you too she says whatever you want in life other people are going to want it too but believe in yourself enough to accept the idea that you have an equal right to it. Follow what you're genuinely passionate about and let that guide you to your destination. And that's from Diane Sawyer. And I, um, I see a lot of that um, that inertia in you where you, you're following what you want in life. And I wanted to get a sense from you um, as a leader in your chair, what you're seeing in Canadian franchising uh, over the next five years, so one of the key questions I want to ask here is, you know, what is your view on the three most important franchising developments in Canada over the next five years? When you look out ahead.
1: Mm-hmm. No, that's that's a really great question because, as we all know, um, the 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 situation has and and sort of the trajectory has changed. Um, if you had asked me that question two years ago, pre. Uh, COVID-19 or pre-pandemic it would be uh, definitely different and uh, my passion and where I began in franchising was in hospitality and the restaurant space and you know the space where I became very well known for you know being able to you know lead lead franchising for Tim Hortons or lead franchising for Little Caesars and it could have been quite easy for me to become that QSR queen if you will right and I think there's even some articles and some some jokes about that, but I, I believe that um, you know that the the industry has changed because we need to be nimble. And I think that more than ever, there are um, people out there, Canadians, that are seeking opportunities, and they're seeking um, ways to find um, you know meaningful self employment. And I think the mindset of many Canadians have changed as well. So previously, again, pre pandemic, people would be. Uh, very comfortable or thinking I'm going to go and have that security um, you know of mindset of, of being able to have a, a job and you know go to my downtown office and I'll be home for dinner and then repeat and what's happening is that um, you know that situation obviously has changed and also people's personal lives have been impacted and so coming out of this um, seeing through that lens Declan of the next five years it's, it's, I I think it's almost a resurrection of franchising, even though franchising has never gone away. Mm -hmm. But I think more than ever, we're seeing increases of upwards of over 30% of new people coming into the system. So more frequently, I'm having conversations, even like the one that I had at seven o'clock this morning with a a mother who was looking at a franchise opportunity. She had never heard of franchising, didn't know about franchising, but she's always wanted to be her own boss, but is nervous. I think there's incredible opportunity for people in Canada to really take a closer look at franchising more than ever. And so what does that look like? And going back to my earlier statement about passions, you know, thinking about what are you passionate about? And the number one, I personally, I think that people make mistakes and in this, in, this is going back to my previous days is that people tend to look at what is the big shiny object sometimes you know so thinking that just because a brand is successful they're going to be always successful always being the key word and the thing is at the end of the day if they're not coming to the table with their own passion their own dedication their drive their work ethic and the motivation to lift up and be behind that brand the brand will succeed to a certain point but it they're not going to see the actualization of their efforts to the fullest. And so what I'm seeing is that just there's these these all these young brands that are coming out of the world, you know, not the Tim Hortons, although, of course, Tim's is still a a fantastic opportunity, but it's these younger brands that are coming out that I'm seeing in the services, the home based businesses, the um, it could be in the beauty sector. It could be in these kind of places that are really helping other people that are innovating. And so that's something that I'm seeing more than ever. And and in terms of trends, um, really, it's coming down to these home-based, I would say, in-service-based businesses. So you know, we think about things like people need more care more than ever. There are, there are concerns over you know coming out of the the last couple of years with mental health and, and in-home care, self-care. Um, also, people spending more times in their homes. So again, just caring for the four walls and around. So. So it's these things where people's mindsets, mindsets excuse me, have incredibly shifted to a different degree because we, we needed to. We needed to make this shift, um, I believe. And so it's just led to more awareness. So in the next five years, what I personally see is I just see a real explosion of these kinds of services and just a sense of community and people helping out their communities finding their passions, you know, getting latched onto something that really they're comfortable with and driving that. And then, and then a resurgence. And it's, it's the next, the next big thing, right? The next big things are coming. And that's what I'm seeing.
0: I appreciate that perspective. I don't know uh, many people who are as passionate about uh, franchising in Canada as you are. And just for the audience uh, listening in, and who may not, who probably heard the word franchise, who know of Tim Horton's franchises and locations and other brands that they're familiar with in the community, their own neighborhoods. Canadian franchise opportunities, uh, they contribute over $100 billion uh, per year to the Canadian economy and create jobs for just about 1.9, almost 2 million Canadians. Mm -hmm. Uh, Franchising in Canada is the 12th largest sector of the Canadian economy and uh that's the level of impact that what you do has in the, the, the environments around us in the neighborhoods and the families that are looking for something um you know let's call this i'm going to brave and use the term post pandemic um and this is uh, this is likely creating a surge in demand for your services and you know i talked about over the next five years part of the reason you've positioned yourself so well is to capture the wave in in some ways, right? You've talked about uh, your new uh, work uh, with Renovation and the, the new franchise consulting venture uh, that's taking the Canadian franchising sector by storm in my interpretation with clients uh, in your firm with everything from pool care service to food services and even beauty services. Yeah. I wondered with all this wonderful variety, you talked about home care services as well, with all this wonderful variety, how do you, as a leader at Renovation, choose which clients to partner with?
1: Yeah, another great question. Uh, it's it's a very simple answer. I, I look for brands that are innovative and that are well positioned. And we do that through a very selective process. One that we ensure that I'm not only it's just my own expertise coming to the table, but when we're choosing partners, I'm involving other key members within my organization And I I lean and I trust those individuals uh, based on their many, many years of expertise to collectively look at what is this brand today? What do we think we can make this brand become? And then is it a good uh, mutual alignment or a good fit between myself and my brand values and then also their brand and their brand values? And they don't need to be exactly right there you know because we always are hopefully we're always evolving but um are they willing and able and wanting to evolve to that next level or that next generation within their brand and and so we we have a a really great assessment that we do that really helps solve those questions rather quickly we can tend to do that in just a couple of hours and at the end of the day unfortunately you know we we need to protect our core you know i've i've been so blessed this last year declan i've had the most amazing people come into my life and uh amazing brand partners that have come into my life as well and i have to honor them and that that comes first so i always want to be aware of the people that we are working with making sure that they're complementary to one another not competing and that we are having like-minded people around the table because we're all connected, right? I think, you know, um, my brands, you know, whether I'm having a, a leadership conversation with, with one founder to, you know, having a development conversation with another, you know, they tend to know of each other, right? So, you know, I imagine, you know, when we get together that we we are all collectively just a one entity and we all work in different ways, but, once they're part of my network um, and part of our system, the consistent feedback that I've received from pretty much everybody is thats is that they're just, they're blown away. They're like, I've never experienced anything like this. And um, like anything you need, I'm there for you. So it's just this wonderful community that I've developed from like-minded people.
0: It makes such a big difference in my opinion, when you're aligned with team members that have similar values and uh in my experience it's created a different uh version of success indeed you get the monetary reward for expanding your business with people that work well with you uh however i think there's also a fulfillment a personal fulfillment of being able to celebrate in a community of people who share similar values that uh creates a depth of fulfillment that i think is important for folks in the entrepreneurial space. And with franchising, I think you know you have an opportunity to attract uh, folks that share these uh, specific corporate values. And some of them that I've seen that I like to celebrate in the Canadian space are those with core, strong community and family values. And you do a lot of work with those types of franchises too. I wanted to comment a little bit in our conversation about um, the structure and the technical aspects of uh, franchising really. And um, just so that our audience can really get a sense as to how the background of it works. And in Canada, I'm aware uh, through some work produced by Faskin, the law firm, that franchising is regulated at a provincial level. And there's no federal equivalent really to the U.S. Federal Trade Commission's franchising rule. And six provinces in Canada, Alberta, Ontario, PEI, New Brunswick, and B.C., actually have their own specific franchise legislation. And I I, I make that statement to lead into the next um, point that I wanna make, which is uh, Canada has a, what's called a provincial nominee program. It's a PNP, which provides opportunity for qualified individuals to really uh, obtain a permanent residency in Canada. And uh, this PNP program really offers each province um, opportunity to provide distinct programs or streams uh, for folks that wish to come to canada to work and i think you already have a sense as to where i'm going with this statement because um, in these particular streams there's one called the entrepreneur or investor stream which leads directly to the franchise work that you do because what we've seen in some of the data uh at least some of the data that i'm looking at and i've seen it in some of the the white papers produced by law firms around the country. I don't know if you know the name. Uh, Sotos, they're one of the, the leading um, mm-hmm. uh, franchising law firms uh, in, in the country. I think they've been around for over 30 or 40 years or something like that. What they've said in a white paper to some of their U.S. clients is something I'd like to quote now for you. It says that um, Canada is, of course, made up uh, of 10 provinces and three territories. It's culturally and ethnically diverse with a population of over 37 million people and um there are a lot of uh, homegrown brands here and some imported into imported by franchise systems and here's the key thing that i wanted to quote many new investor immigrants to canada make their initial investments in a franchised business we'd love mm-hmm. to welcome your perspective on on immigrants uh, or new canadians coming into the country and looking at franchising and what you're seeing uh, from your our leadership chair
1: oh wow thank you i love talking about this this is really warms my heart so i'm happy that you um approached this subject because they're i mean part of some of the brands that i am working with right now have similar stories and that's how they started their brand so I, i'm going to definitely be talking about that and then also um i just you know based on the recruiting and the work that we do Um, I have so many stories to share and, you know, I just think, wow, like how lucky are we to, you know, first of all, be in such an amazing country that allows this type of opportunity, but then also be um, how fortunate we are and sometimes we just don't realize it because uh, the stories um, and some of the brands that I've helped work with um, in the past and also present, you know, they, they've just got these incredible journeys, you know, where you know, maybe they were, the founders were new immigrants themselves and they started with one location um, and then they realized that maybe they should be able to turn that into two and then that turns into five. And then they realized, hey, guess what? We're franchising and, um, and, and we should probably formalize this, right? And um, I would say 90% right now of my portfolio of brands are um, very driven by multiculturalism. They they have people that are immigrants. Uh, They tend to draw and attract immigrants. And so many of the conversations I have in a day, 80 to 90% of those are with immigrants, Um, you know, and so people that are coming to find the Canadian dream. Um, I've had at least a dozen of these conversations this past week alone with individuals that are well-financed, individuals that have amazing business experience and from their respective countries that they come from. And they're looking to bring that opportunity here because there's just so many benefits and advantages to um, everybody at the table. I think. So for me, it's a win-win. For the brands, it's a win-win. And there's a lot of passion behind this. So I'll give an example. Um, a couple of weeks ago, there was a brand that uh, where we had the pleasure to consult with. And the story um, of this individual was, was very heartwarming. Um, she was a young, young, young lady. Uh, she was in her country at 15, poor and living in a work camp. And throughout that period of time, uh, she had decided that uh, she needed to make some money and she wanted to make a better life. And so, while she was in this work camp, she realized, and as she was looking around, all of these 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 vendors around her uh, that were selling bananas and wares and things like that, that that she needed to, um, she needed to she needed to make some money, and maybe she could help them out. So she offered that she would charge a small markup and then that that vendor could go back home to their family and spend the time doing their chores and she would that's how she would start making money so that turned into her uh growing her business that turned into her making enough money to come to canada at least afford the plane fare and came with nothing right so 20 years ago comes with nothing she shows up and decides she's going to get a business loan and start her first restaurant And then after she starts that first restaurant, her sales blow up to over $2 million. So when you think about somebody that was selling bananas and happy to earn five cents a day to that, to making $2 million, you know, you have to imagine the amount of drive and passion and grit <laughs> that it took, right? And and so that's the thing, when I look at new immigrants coming to Canada, they look for that Canadian dream. When I think about uh, people that are seeking opportunity, and seeking business, quite often they already have, there's something inside of them. There's something inside of them that they know how hard and what they have to do to get from A to B, so they're willing to take that risk and take, take that chance. And in comparison to some of the conversations sometimes, you know, that I have with, I would say, that's average Canadian, I tend to see those, those conversations span out a lot longer because as a, as a nation, we tend to be more conservative, right? From everything from buying decisions to how we look at potential franchise opportunities, which is why um, I, I don't think you would be surprised to hear that when I was at Tim Hortons, you know, we were getting anywhere from 600 to 800 inquiries with a full application a month. you know and then I have some brands I have some brands that are happy if they get that in a year or in a couple of years right so there's there's a big big gap there um in terms of interest and the the reason is because we look at what is stable and what is comfortable right and what is and that and this is going back to my earlier point deck and this is why I think there's going to be this amazing revolution in franchising because People that, <laughs> people that, it's like the perfect storm, right? People that had not thought of that, but they're looking for innovation. They're looking for something new. You know, obviously not everybody can buy that really big brand. Um, there's newcomers coming to Canada. There's refugees. There's people that are looking for business opportunities. Plus there's all these new, 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 newpreneurs as we like to call them here right now. So that are, that are like, I, I, I'm not going back to that. No, I think April is going to be a very interesting month. Um, as we see the, the actualization of everybody having to go back into the office and there's a lot of emotional and mental blocks I think that come with that, that uh, we're going to see a lot of resignations happen um, over the next couple of months and, and which leads to more education. So tomorrow come on that, but that's where my mind has been and um, for the last couple of weeks actually seeing as we grow and what's happening.
0: Yeah, I appreciate uh, the massive wave of potential. It's almost a tsunami potential. You know, the, according to the International Franchise Association, just in time for June's uh, Immigrant Heritage Month, uh, some of the biggest names in franchising usually head to New York City for um, the International Franchise Expo. And I know a lot of business owners in Canada of you know significant means of meaningful success always look to the US because they're generally you know seven to nine years ahead of what we what we're doing here in Canada I know I'm in the US you know pre-COVID I, I travel to the US at least uh, three times a year in New York and in LA and, and in between so uh something fascinating about uh, the stats here there some of these are dated stats but I'm sure you have the more updated ones in your mind because of what you see um some of the the immigrant stats that I've seen here uh, it just fascinate me and you know it says here that um, uh, immigrant groups launched businesses at twice the rate of native-born Americans and that was in 2014 alone mm-hmm. and today's immigrants are turning to franchising and entrepreneurship to redefine what it means to fulfill the American dream and you referenced the Canadian dream earlier in your statement Immigrant entrepreneurs launched just under 30%, what 28.5% of new businesses back in 2014 and that was up from 25% just a year earlier. So that's the pace of growth. It's so significant. Um, uh, the research has shown that immigrants start new companies or become self-employed nearly at twice the rate of Native born American Americans, creating an average of 520 businesses per month per 100,000 people. And this is once again data from uh, 2014. I find these numbers just staggering as we take a look at Canadian immigration policy and the new Canadians that will be joining us in the years to come. Um, How is Franovation innovating in supporting new Canadians in unique ways as they uh, approach the conversation on franchising? We'd love to learn from you about that specific area.
1: Wow. Well, I, you know, I agree with those statistics and I, and some of them are, I, I'm hearing for the first time, uh, back to 2014, but I experienced that myself. So it's not surprising. Um, one of the things that I did was, uh, travel out west as everybody knows for a period of time where, um, I had supported, uh, an application that I had approved uh, they were uh, newer immigrants uh, to Canada, and they started out with one location of a Tim Hortons. And then they were so successful in building their group that they grew it to sixteen locations in a period of two years, which led to <laughs> which which led it led to a lot of, um, growth pains, I would, I would like to say, and, and nothing that didn't, they didn't overcome, but it obviously growing an organization from 40 employees to 700 or 800 is, is a completely different ball game. And so, and so when we think about, you know, that personal story that I experienced, um, because I've, I've experienced it hands-on in the field, Declan, I've, I've interviewed, I've met people, I've mentored people, and I have worked with new immigrants that this is their first job. And there's so there's so, like, I, it really it's it's hard not to get emotional when I think about it because their stories are so, you know, you think after hearing it over and over that it would become something that is so, um, you know, every day. But I think everybody is so unique and we're so special in our own ways. So I think, you know, sometimes it's as simple as making sure that when we're having those conversations with applicants, you know, because a lot of those conversations are with applicants, is to, I feel a sense of responsibility that we are leading the way and making them feel welcome. You know, and I think I, I take a lot of responsibility in how we are communicating with our applicants and with potential franchisees, especially as we are representing brands at the same time. So ensuring that we are calm and we are patient and we know how to communicate effectively and slowly and and, and kindly and you know just be a really great representative. Um, There's also the education piece Declan so understanding you know what will that process look like with that particular brand or how they're getting franchising uh, accomplished in Canada and what do they need. I think there's also approaching it from a helpful perspective so act going putting my concierge hat back on from in my 20s when I when I was a concierge for a five diamond or a four diamond five star property and uh, making sure that if there is or, or anything that they need that I'm there for them and it's been I think it's reciprocal it's one of those things where I don't ever expect anything uh, from my end but I get comments like oh you've been so wonderful like you're going to come to my house and I'm going to cook Indian street food for you was one that offer that I had last week. So, and, you know, we start, we start connecting. And I think it's, we have to put ourselves again, the the opportunity is, you know, um, you know, leading with empathy and leading with that sort of heart and kindness is understanding and trying, trying just to minutely put ourselves in their shoes that they're about to change their entire life and move their family or 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 they're moving their family from a different country and coming to make a new home and a new life. And 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 like I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about that. And if it wasn't for my own personal experience in Canada having to do that, no I've never moved across country in the sense of countries, but you know, I've I've had to relocate. And I spent a lot of time living out of a suitcase in my 30s and my early 40s because of business work and business travels and supporting other business owners. So I can understand how scary that is and that they need that gentle voice to help guide them through the process and and let them know that it's going to be okay. So I I think we have to have that experience, you know, and I, and that's, to be honest, a lot of the people within my company, you know, myself included, we've all been there. Um, I think about Darren, you know, who takes care of operations and he's had to, pick up his family and move from one side of the country to the United States to start a business. Um, you know, he's traveled extensively and he's worked with a lot of new immigrants as well and helped them get on their feet and seen them become franchisees. So, it's it's just uh, I I don't know. I I don't you're not going to make me cry on this, but I just I think about <laughs> I think about the stories and and they're just absolutely phenomenal and I'm just I'm so blessed and honored to just even be a part of that journey with them. And so we take it very seriously.
0: You know, I could see and feel the emotion in your um, contribution to this part of the conversation. It feels like you actually, it seems like you have a personal connect to some of these families that you help that uh, set up these businesses here and build these new lives and to see them flourish um, to your point you know going from 1 to 16 in a matter of months uh, that's a tremendous success story you know as a leader or you being a leader in the, the Canadian franchise space uh, I want to talk to you a bit about family and franchising in the moment because we started talking about immigrant families and of course they're Canadian families multi-generational families in Canadian franchising but I want before we get there I wanted to just ask about our Canadian franchises or at least some of the ones that you've you've seen with seen or partnered with, are they properly prepared? Do you think they're properly prepared to work with uh, immigrant families? And I know it's a sensitive topic, but maybe we have an opportunity to, to have a discourse on how we can prepare those folks uh, for the big changes coming through the Canadian population through immigration.
1: You know, I, I think it depends on the brand or the 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 industry as well. So I I think proper prepared. Um, you know, I think there's an opportunity and benefit to create, you know, some uh some support in that space, absolutely, but um, I don't think we're ever fully prepared. <laughs> we try, I think as brands, I, I see that there's some amazing programs that uh, some brands are are trying to um, put together and do. Um, I'm thinking of um, Polzenia you know, the pool care company that that I've worked with, and um, his entire business model is is really been focusing on first generation immigrants and helping them find their way, and uh, realizing that you know his his job, as much as they are revolutionizing and, prof- and bringing a, a huge amount of professionalism to the pool care space that it's not glamorous work by any means in, in a normal person's eyes. And so realizing that, you know, you can be an absolute professional in this space and create a wonderful end user guest experience or home pers- homeowner experience, and uh, do that with people that are immigrants and that, you know, they're looking for that opportunity and, and will appreciate the work and understand the work and want to become owners one day themselves. That's what's been happening. Those are the conversations. You know, I think about Max, who's uh, he's a, a junior NHL player, I believe. He's over, he was in Russia, actually, and, and so he's coming back, I think, this summer. Um, I think about the first franchisee that they placed, um, who is a, a new immigrant. He's been in Canada for about six years, I think, a newer immigrant. But uh, this is uh, he had tried a different franchise opportunity, and it wasn't for him. It was a larger firm, a larger company, and he just said, nope, I want something where, you know, I can really build that success. And so this was the right fit. I, you know, so I, I think in terms of programs, it's smaller companies. If they don't have it already in their model to attract and recruit those, those types of individuals, they're going to be missing the boat. I think that we need absolutely to incorporate that into our programs. And, um, you know, that needs to happen even more. More, I, I, you know, I, I would love to hear if you have heard of any programs that are being developed. Um, myself personally, it's it's case by case.
0: You know, there's a tremendous amount of programs, uh, even in, at the government level, uh, to support immigration uh, and immigrants, new immigrants, our uh, new Canadians in our space, um, and and you know, we mentioned one earlier uh, in our conversation, and uh, one of the things that is unique about um, your perspective is you get to see what the gaps are like you know you and i have talked offline and i won't you know name names in this uh, conversation but there's some uh, some uh, brands franchising brands that aren't really uh, embracing the uniqueness of the new canadian story in their brands and you know we're you know we're in a position where it's okay to have one's own uh, value system. Uh, but when you start, I think, excluding, um, sectors of the population based on, uh, preconceived, uh, perspectives that, um, may not actually reflect Canadian values. I think there's a challenge there for, for that thinking. I think it's limited and you use the term missing the boat, but I also think that, um, I also think that we need to talk about it as leaders because i don't think it's it's isolated to one or two branches. i think maybe that there's a there's got to be a way to have folks realize that um uh <laughs> you you can't really escape the change that's coming uh so we'd be well served to start adjusting our psychology now and i'm being very selective in how i i say it and very kind in how i say it And I think you can appreciate that. But um, what would be your message as a leader to those folks that are struggling to really adopt and embrace uh, unique perspectives, uh, multicultural perspectives from new Canadians coming into the country on the franchise topic, that is?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I feel, I feel, Declan, that you know, it's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of unpacking, I think, you know, it's, it's hard to just send a a quick message, um, you know, or a statement to that. I think, I think that um, I, you know, I wouldn't be giving it as much, I think, color as probably what needs to happen in terms of communication. But, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to just you know, put that kind of glaze over it, if you will. Um, you know, I, I would imagine that realistically, we need to uh, find um, ways to connect, and we need to, I think, do strong broad brand audits. Uh, audits, excuse me. So, thinking about wow. um, looking at um, your brand constantly from the eyes of a whoever, a new immigrant, uh, a Canadian, uh, a mother, whoever your target audience or your target audiences are, and then even challenging who you think your target audiences may be, right? So your messaging and your communication and your marketing is incredibly important. It's something that um, I worked with one brand on uh, recently because they were adopting the marketing materials from the United States And the first thing I said was uh, this marketing material is not going to work in Canada, not my Canada. (laughs) You know, it's got these pictures of these beautiful, beautiful Caucasian families all holding each other hand in hand because the system was born out of the uh, southern states. And so uh, I'm like, we're going to have to find some new photography, some new imaging, some new messaging. And and these are some of the the strategies that myself and my marketing team, we put together um, to remember always who is the end user, who is the person receiving the message. You know, you can have this beautiful brochure, this beautiful messaging, this beautiful Instagram, these beautiful whatever, you name it. But, you know, the communication, remember who is our target audience, who are the people buying franchises, they are ESL, like it's, 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 this is, this is the thing. So, you know, being mindful of our language, being mindful in accepting, being understanding of how we are showcasing, and um, I think it can provide a lot of deep impact. So there's lots of great things that we do. I mean, brand audits being one of them, um, and also just providing that that third-party neutral guidance, um, because I think a lot of it is non-intentional. Um, I, I want to stress that. I think that a brand that is trying to tap into new markets and new audiences, and they're not quite sure how to accomplish that. It's sometimes right in front of it. Most of the times is right in front of their own eyes. It's right on their own websites. It's right in their own messaging and how they're writing things. And that's why communication is so important. And then on the secondary side, when we're diving into, um, you know, diversity and inclusion and diving into things like considering you know, the representatives that are at your organizations. And so, you know, on the verge of, uh, you know, obviously uh, some celebratory events coming with International Women's Day and, you know, that coming up, I've been participating in those all week. Um, We're actually giving away some prizes for our local chamber today um, to help celebrate and lift up women. But um, again, there's a lot of challenges I think in those leadership roles, you know, it's, they always say it starts at the top. <laughs> so if your, if your leadership team is not diverse in, you know, color and gender, then I would challenge, you know, again, people are, are very, very aware. Uh, like you can't fool that individual. If everybody at your lead at the top is, you know, 95% a mature male or this kind of look, it's, going to resonate throughout that system <laughs> and you can me hide It's, that's of, I, it's I, nice to way you,
0: you said it that way. Amateur man, <laughs> that's, cute. that's a nice way to say it. Listen, I um, the, the thing about this, uh, the conversation that we're having right now, why it's sometimes uncomfortable is that folks just don't want to call for what it is. I mean, for me, you know, you, you talked about glazing, using the term glazing over and, you know, having to be careful because, you know, we don't want to be offensive to some folks in the space. Yeah. But one of the things we have to be aware of is that if someone's hurting you you're not going to say things like well I want to you know communicate to them properly and you know prepare a presentation and glaze over about how they're really making you're going to say stop it if I if I'm incorrect you tell me if someone's doing something wrong you say stop it not because you're enforcing a power dynamic because it's hurtful it's not only hurtful to the recipient but also hurtful to the community and eventually hurtful to the business so you know you know it's a it's a curious thing to be political about but um reality it's very it's a quick fix if if we wanted to fix it uh and you talked about women international women's day uh and i do have uh, some room in our conversation to talk about uh women in franchising in canada which uh, i would love to welcome your perspective on and as we approach that conversation i wanted to to bridge it with what you're talking about family legacy and franchising you know um franchising families uh, uh with uh, i'm going to give two canadian franchising brands which you know of coming out of the canadian franchise association spirit leaf and century 21 um, what I'm seeing is that, uh, and I'm going to quote from an article here. It says that some might say you can't mix family with business. And while that may be true for some business owners, uh, there are two franchising families that are proof that family or kin and business can be the perfect recipe for franchising success. And the article goes on to talk about, um, uh, a century 21 and a spirit leaf, um, uh, franchise owner family who's multi generational in the space. What are you thinking and uh, and what are you seeing for Fanovation and how are you preparing to work with multi generational families families in the in the franchising space?
1: Wow, yes. So one of the first experiences that I had learning about multi generational families in franchising was um, you know obviously back in my experiences with Tim Hortons, uh, mm-hmm. my mentor and leader at the time uh, had paid for me to visit Dalhousie University and listen to this incredible talk about um, what happens when you don't succession plan properly and what happens, you know, to a multi-generational family that does not, ensure that the board is properly put together and aligned and that documentation is not in place and things like that. So, um, that was my first experience. And then, you know, he was just the sort of magician, if you will, when it came to how he saw me early on in my career as a mentor. And, um, you know, after that, I came back and he asked me, well, how was it? And I said, wow, it was great. And I was telling him about, about all these amazing people that I met. And I was so honored to like, honestly have the opportunity. And he said, great. I want you to take everything that you've learned and now write the policies and work with me on this project to write for the first time, how we adapt to all of these uh, families that are within this system uh, that our second, third, and some of them coming up almost on fourth generation that have been with him since day one, or maybe they had store 10, right. And now, and so he said, we need to start writing succession plan policies. We need to start writing, um, how do we treat these people? How do we support these franchisees? So that was one of the first big projects that I got to work on. Um, and you know, it was, it was a project that's for sure, because there's, All kinds of things, communication pieces, and there's education pieces, and there's informative uh, things that we needed to do and webinars. And so it was a really amazing project and just making sure that we were setting up a system for success. You know, I'm gonna think within my systems that I've supported Declan. So franchising is a system when we are bringing in families. We anticipate and hope that there is some multi generational, uh, you know, efforts or endeavors that are happening in there. You know, I think that's every business owner's dream. Absolutely, as a mom, you know, I'm, I'm a mom, you're a dad, um, and I always joke with my own kids, like, okay, great, you know, when are, when are you going to come and work for the family business? And that's been the ongoing question since 20s, and my kids tell the story, if they recall, when, you know, I was running a small business earlier on, and they would always come and help, and they're like, oh, I remember you handing me a pricing gun, and you tell me to price stuff. And, uh, I know that was against labor laws, apparently, you know? <laughs> I said, no, I, 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 like, listen, I didn't pay you in money. I, I paid you in, in, in popsicles. Okay. Come on. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> so, I remember you talking
0: but, about that, uh, that time that you were at the, in LA, right. And you were at, I think your grandparents' diner. And I think there's a picture you showed me about you being at the counter, <laughs> getting a, a milkshake or something, adorable picture. So that's, uh. You know, when you pay oh. family members in, in milkshake and food and, and, and love and adoration, I think there might be a good balance there somewhere. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. It's like, you know, and, and we, I, yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of born into that space, right? But I think that you hope, you hope and you dream. But from a foundational perspective, we need to support those families and make sure they're structured. You know, I think that's a great opportunity to explore that and um, ensure that there's proper policies in place and I I do believe families make some of the best franchisees and so this was a challenge um, that I've I've been challenged on this and I've written uh, some documentation on this previously Um, and because back in the day you know back you know going back 10 years or 15 years a lot of brands in Canada, would look for I would call it a traditional partnership, right? So your husband and wife uh, type partnership, and they would come in, and you know, I, I pretty quickly, I said, wow, like the divorce rate is pretty high, <laughs> you know, it's. So at that point, it was you know, fifth, over 50%, and then, and then if it was second marriage, you know, it's over 73%, I think, and, and I think those numbers have not really changed, if anything, they've gone up. So I said I, said, I really would challenge that, that we would want to place a husband-and-wife partnership within this system, because statistically, it's going to, the relationship will fail, and then we're going to be left uh, with the Armageddon of the aftermath, <laughs> as, as a franchisor, and we don't want to be playing relationship expert. You know, at the end of the day, we're worried about our customers, and worried about our money, and worried about um, the brand image, and worried about the employees that are impacted by this unfortunate or what may happen. You know, so it's all these dynamics. So I, I started introducing the idea of sibling, sibling, uh, you know, partnerships, and then also familial partnerships, so cousins. And that worked really well. And I do tend to seek like, and again, going back to immigrant families or new families uh, to Canada, they do tend to do that. It'll be the, uh, and I don't want to make generalization statements. I, I, you know, I feel bad even saying that, but it is generally in my experience, the norm that it is the brothers or the sisters, and then the wife is coming and then she has cousins that are entrepreneurs. And so I love that. So they're already creating this generational kind of bucket and then, and then as they move forward, um, they're going to need that support. So at the same time, from a franchising perspective, systems need to support that those buckets. They need to support those families. So end of the day, make sure that you have really great policies in place, please. Uh, I think we need to have that responsibility, making sure that we are uh, writing effective and educating effective policies to support uh, what that may look like within franchising. That would be fantastic.
0: hmm you know uh there's uh there's something that we talk you know like policies are you know <laughs> it's, it's it's a it's a it's a fascinating conversation about policies i think policies take a lot of time you know work effort and then the policy is just really the beginning because then you the, have to enforce policy and monitor policy and, and are people really doing what the policy says and policies aren't really law and so there's some interesting dynamics around terminology and how we can get there but. I think it's a a start, it's a contribution in the right direction. Uh, And what else I think is another step in the right direction is how we see women show up in franchising. You know, according to a a Forbes article that I'll quote from, it says, uh, women in franchising, um, uh, what they found in their research is that over the past decade, there was a 24% increase in women-owned franchise businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, of course, coming out of the U.S. Of mm-hmm. all the new franchises open within a specific time period uh, in this report, they found that 41% were women-owned businesses. And that, according to the report, represented gigantic pro- uh, progress for women entrepreneurs. What else uh, was encouraging reading the study and reading the article was that um, uh, there's a positive trend of women franchise ownership uh, which is also reflected in the greater economy, where the number of women-owned businesses grew by 58% from a period of uh, 2007 to 2018. Mm-hmm. And this compared to the national average of 12%, according to a report commissioned by American Express. As um, as a strong woman CEO in the Canadian franchise sector, I'd love to learn about some of the, the challenges you face and how you're breaking down barriers for women Uh, like your daughter uh, and others uh, who are growing into their careers and who, some of whom may actually eventually want a career in franchise consulting.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love the statistics, Declan. Um, You know, I'm familiar with with those studies. And in Canada, the numbers are increasing as well. So we have seen that I think it's 33% of, of franchises purchased now by women where i believe just four years ago or three years ago it was more under 20 percent so we've definitely seen an uptick and we're going to continue to see that just because of um again post-pandemic behaviors and women seeking opportunities to find their own way because statistically women are still more educated than uh, their male counterparts here in canada and have more degrees but tend to work uh, longer to reach the top as CEOs, and they get frustrated, or they 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 are tired of trying to climb the ladder to get to the top, and realize, hey, I can do this. Um, quite often, they've already had a had their family, and they're juggling, and that was my personal situation when I was in my thirties. Um, you know, so I can relate to that as well. Um, you know, and 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 so when we talk about or consider challenges. And um, if it wasn't for, I think, the fact that I had amazing mentors and I was so lucky to have the people who did surround me and lift me up from a young age. You know, from I'm talking from 20s. My first, my first mentor was a female CEO. Um, you may have heard of her, uh, the story of CY Lai who, you know, she is known as the person who basically revitalized the entire niagara lake core, um, you know, came uh, here with nothing at the age of 16, swam across an ocean for 16 or 17 hours, I believe it was, if I remember remembering my story properly. But, um, you know, she, she created a name for herself and she bought up all these beautiful hotels and she revitalized them and she created jobs and uh, you know she was one of my early mentors, and so when I uh, joined, um, you know my professional world, and, and you know that being recruiting, um, and you know I, I was in a, a mainly female office, you know so that was quite interesting for me, and you know being able to see the dynamics and uh, be part of a group of people that were truly inspirational. And uh, we, you know, we made great work. We, my unit, like our our staffing unit grew to one of the top in Canada very quickly. We serviced over 300 accounts in the Burlington and Oakville area. Um, And, you know, we just did really great work. And I thought the dynamic was fascinating. Like it was just one of those things where you're like, wow, this is this is a little too easy, right? Because people often imagine, I think there's that painted picture of women in an office or paint painted picture of the dynamics of how women interact, but that is just completely old school. I, I think it's it, in this, I'm talking even 13 years ago, none of that, it's, it's, I feel now there's been such a change, uh, the change in how women are lifting each other up and supporting each other and seeking the right type of mentors, and I think, you know, 15 years ago or 25 years ago, we didn't know how to do that, right? We were, we were as women back in back then, we we're starting to enter into more workforces. We were finding ourselves in in positions where we didn't know how to react or how to act or how to seek um, that support, because back then, those those women, those are the real women that were paving and and kind of carving out the path, Declan, not me, but. Well, I'm humble that I don't know. I, okay. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say with that statement, I realized in franchising, and I didn't know this. I just knew what I loved. I just I I just knew what I loved. I loved franchising. I I was I I i lived and breathed it my entire life uh, in different ways. And so when I started working at Tim Hortons, you know, I had I think it was 10 or 11 male directors that I was working with and supporting. I had three RVPs that were males and. You know, it was just another day at work. You know, they were wonderful with me. We built great friendships. And one of them even decided to come and join my team. So, you know, at the end of the day, to me it was successful, but I, re- I recognize it's not always the way. Um, and, you know, did I have challenges? Well, I think, you know, I, I think in terms of how I've been uh, received in most settings, you know, I think um, sometimes I am challenged on my level of experience, you know, um, where statements just aren't true. So I have had sometimes statements made like, well, you don't have enough board experience, and then you just remember that you have to stand up for yourself and say, nope, I actually do have board experience, I've sat on a military advisory board, I'm one of the few females in Canada who have been appointed to that board, and then on top of that, I've also, I've also helped and sat on a number of other boards starting from a young age where I'm, I'm working in supporting and mentoring other business leaders. But thank you for your opinion. Right. And and not take it personally, I think, as as women, because, you know, we we need to not take stuff so personally sometimes. And it's hard not to do because especially when you're so passionate like I am about what I do. So I had to learn how to control that and still learning sometimes. You know, I think I don't want to lose that passion. Um, the other day uh, when I was on a um, on a, a session, you know, just of talking about women in, in business and women in franchising, because I do a lot of leadership work in that space, Declan. So, um, some of the things we do through the Canadian Franchise Association is monthly, I'm on a panel that uh, does, I'm um, one of three or four that are regular uh, speakers that talk about women in franchising, and we invite and open up spaces to um, other women that are, are holding roles. Um, within Canadian franchising, and just need a safe space to talk. So whatever challenges they're presently having, or things that they're trying to accomplish, or barriers to entry, um, we just we discuss that openly, and it's it's just really great um, to to have that. I did not have that again when I was in my 30s, being a busy mom, being on a plane. I always joke with my kids. I'm like, hey, you know, I, hopefully you guys were fed. You know, <laughs> like, of course they they were always well fed in my house. Everyone is always very well fed um as as a foodie but i think i think yeah i didn't have that uh, but i did have great mentors so i've been blessed but i have seen the downfall and i have seen women um exit franchising you know and, and leave the industry because you know they they just it's it's just not for them but i do believe that's changing and the one thing i love about the cfa is that you know it has consistently had amazing female leadership um, you know, we had Lorraine McLaughlin, who was the president of the CFA. And then now we have Sherry McNeil, Sherry's uh, sat at Brands. Like, uh, she's actually my predecessor, so she was at Little Caesars. Um, and then also she's been at DQ, Dairy Queen, a um, number of other brands provided consulting throughout the year. So she's fantastic. She's an amazing female leader. So I love that at least our associations from the top have that leadership and we have people we can lean on. And she's the one that came up with this idea uh, with her team to create these roundtables to help support women. And the reason why is because she's as passionate, probably more passionate than I am in this space. And I did not realize statistically, and these are the two things I wanted to share with you, which really blew my mind the other day when I was on this panel. One, that less than 5% of leadership roles in Canada are held by women in franchising. And then two, less than 2% of jobs or businesses, excuse me, that are owned by women make over a million dollars a year <laughs> right <laughs> so so that really that really shocked me um, I knew the first one was ha- like low but not that low and then the second like completely blew my mind
0: can you let's let's go there for a little bit I mean why did that statistic shock you
1: um because <laughs> I'm uh yeah I'm gonna struggle with this one why did it shock me because I am me so I think like I know I'm not everybody <laughs> and not everybody is like me and so when I approach something I I'm all in I'm I, I will work the hours that's always been my my style to be incredibly um, driven you know and I think again, from a young age, very driven and and wanting, always wanting more, always wanting more, 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 like, like, since a kid, more, 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 let's go. And I want to learn something new. And so, um, I, for me, even though I've had a ton of struggles and I've had to go through a lot to get to where I am personally, um, you know, I, I feel like I got there and I'm like, okay, yeah, great. Like my mindset is how do we help others and then how do we get To grow, right? How do we get to that million? How do we get to that two million? How do we get to that five million, right? And where I I want to be empathetic and think like, wow, like there is really a lot of people out there that need help, right? I did not realize that number was so low. I don't, and so I want, I feel like that was my aha moment. I had it this week, and I don't know if you noticed, I even changed my LinkedIn. Because right? I used to have like, you know, public speaker da, 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 franchise innovator, which is fine. Those are all true. Those are all things that I do. But what am I? Right. And so I realized I realized that I'm, I'm Canada's first female founder of a full service franchise firm. And I need to own that and stop, you know, I think stop and remember that not everybody gets there. And if there's an opportunity to help more women get there, and if there's an opportunity to mentor more women to get there, and if there's that chance that I can be a bit of a buffer or a light in that, you know, kind of navigation, if you will, of how to get through, whether it's corporate Canada, or through, um, you know, the business world, right? I think, I think, wow, like, Okay, I've just I've just self actualized, right? And it was one of those things where when I had started for innovation, um, you know that that kind of dream of it last year, um, you know the intention wasn't to make that statement when I started, but the calling came from out of realizing that those numbers need to desperately improve because there's just so much that. Women bring to the table in terms of talent, skill, empathy, ability, you name it, that, um, it would be, um, disadvantage. It, it, would, it would be disadvantaged. It would be also irresponsible of me to not lift up and support. So I, I, yeah, this has been my journey mentally this past week, again, leading into international women's day.
0: And I encourage your, um, your voice i'll support you where i can you know how i feel about uh issues of equity and equality uh and i want to share something with you from the 2021 diversity disclosure practices report from the corporate governance group at uh, at osler hoskin and harcourt which is a prominent canadian law firm the report says that women are making very little progress at the executive executive officer level the proportion of women executive officers increased slightly to 18.2% from 17 percent last year, but it's largely unchanged since 2015 when it was 15% and only 10.7% of TSX listed companies have targets for women executive officers, which is largely unchanged again from last year. When it comes to Aboriginal peoples and persons with disabilities, the results are even more disappointing. The report says among the over two 200 board positions and the 316 CBA companies that are have provided disclosure, which and in, in, in interpret that as not everyone provided the disclosure. There, there were only eight positions held by Aboriginal peoples compared to seven last year. And based on this disclosure, the number of direct positions held by persons with disabilities also remained exceptionally rare at only 9% or nine positions rather, and that was up from 6% uh, last year. Uh, when I read these results, you know, I, I was asked, like, uh, I actually made a comment on it. And I, I wasn't surprised by it. And I, I'm not surprised because as we prepare for change, we have to recognize. Um, we have to recognize who is in positions of decision-making authority. And, um, you know, I don't know very many people who are in positions of power who want to willingly give it up. So what do we do so what do we do do we create new systems uh do we build uh, different environments to uh, to enhance uh, uh opportunities for inclusion and even opportunities for economic growth and development i think if i were to make a a bold strategic statement that that's exactly what's happening right now is that Folks are innovative enough, smart enough, educated enough to say, "Okay, keep your systems. We're going to go build our own." And when we build our own, unfortunately, the camaraderie, the friendship that could have been, may not, may not be as um, as uh, as inclusive as it, it could have been nurtured and developed if you share, choose to share because there's a lot of um we i think most executives have heard the term inequity we've heard the term gender bias by this time we know especially if you've got daughters granddaughters aunts mothers you're married to a life partner that is female i don't think it's something ambiguous so my challenge to any leader there is to look yourself in the mirror when you wake up in the morning and say well hey you know what um Either we find a way to do this together or the systemic change that will happen will actually create exclusion. And that's not healthy for us all together as we move forward. In my interpretation as a leader, I'd rather do it together because I think we're better together.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think also the opportunity, Declan, is that there's, you know, as I said earlier, a lot of women that are just making their own paths and, and they're finding it in franchising as we see the numbers uh, support. So that's the other thing as well is that when we talk about making your own systems, um, that's the great thing about franchising is that you have the opportunity to build your own company and your own organization as a small business owner within a system. And so they can have, uh, you know, they can have the opportunity to make change when change clearly is not moving as swiftly as uh, most would not, uh, well, would prefer that it does, uh, versus like, like to you alluded, people at the top that maybe don't want to give up power. Maybe those guys, you know, they're just quite happy with where things are. <laughs> Which is, <laughs>
0: but, I, I understand the psychology, but I think I understand the psychology.
1: <laughs> so let's, but let's, but let's find, <laughs> let's find our own paths. There's so sure. many opportunities and there's so many like wonderful, like I'm still learning about all of these, um, opportunities, right. And I'm getting more tapped in. And you know, you know, into grants, into all the like, you know, you look at ClearBank and how that came about, and you know, all of these different um, just opportunities for women in, in franchising and in business to succeed. Um, I think that it's. I don't. I, you know, I want to. I I feel like there's a lot of positivity and like in 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 that you know, women are notoriously resourceful. Um, you know, we, uh, I w well, we will find a way the way is not always breaking down the system where I think, you know, ideally, ideally we shouldn't have to worry about that. Right. But, um, it's going to take a lot of time. And in the meantime, I think we need to find a new path (laughs) and, you know, even in myself, as as a woman over forty, a uh, woman over forty with franchising background, what is my path? And my path my path is to realize um, again when I actualized when I kind of looked at what what renovation needs to be, and I'm using need needs to be is to not be like everybody else in my industry. Um, to not deliver things exactly the way everybody else does and to provide a diverse team. And so it's my mission to ensure that we have women, we have uh, newcomers, we have people of color, we have diversification. Um, I love <laughs> and embrace this, I want more of it. So the any opportunity I have is to add uh, something that is diverse, um, and people that are diverse, I will do so. Um, and not everybody in my space and I will challenge people in, um, who are in franchising to take a look around the room, to take a look around at my competitors' websites, take a look around what's happening in this industry. And so that without poking too hard at a topic. Is, is where I'm approaching this market. And um, because, because Declan, I was really surprised. I was really, honestly, I know other women in the space that do development, um, but they're working within a group. I know other women in the space that are on their own um, and they're doing some a little bit of everything, right? I know women in the space who do operations, consulting or public speaking, but like I'm leading a, a team. <laughs> A big team, a team that constantly is growing. I think I have 13 people right now. I've got another couple of people that are in the process I'm looking at. Um, I want to continue to build my team. And, um, you know, it's just never a dull moment in my world, right? So I, I, I think that, yeah, we have to. I, I'm looking at this from a new lens because at the end of the day, we need to know our audience. And my audience is diverse. <laughs> my audience and the people that we work with are diverse. My audience that we bring into brands and the brands we work with are diverse. So we need to be, look, act, and do as what is around us.
0: Yeah, I, I hear the message of inclusion in your uh, in your statements. And I, I, I completely encourage you and applaud you to recognize that uh <laughs> As well, I interviewed the CEO of AV Communications uh, some time ago and she says um, uh, the future is now and that future is multiculturalism like multiculturalism is mainstream is yes. one of the things she's taught me and in how she sees the world and that's something that she loves doing and I might to ask you about your love your passion what do you love most about what you do and for
1: I love making a difference in people's lives. I I love seeing the happiness that comes out of (laughs) comes out of them, you know, um, like, honestly, it's making a difference is what really counts. And um, I mean, I've, I've literally had moments on the phone with my clients where they were ready to throw in the towel. They've had challenging moments. They've you know, I, I think of one who, you know, the week that he was launching his brand, he, he suffered all sorts of problems and illness and things. And it's just being able to work with them to push through it and, you know, keep pushing the ball forward and be motivational. And at the same time, leading them to new thought patterns and seeing them self-realize like these are the, I, I don't think I'm like, you know, <laughs> like wizard or a genius when it comes to brand, brand innovation, right? You know, I, I, I sometimes... I don't know, but it's funny, like we get on these calls and we start doing these massive brain dumps and just sort of creative think tank sessions. And uh, what comes out of that is just pure magic, pure magic. Um, and you know, you've, you've heard of some of these stories. And so, yeah, just making a difference in, in uh, lifting people up and allowing them to be able to um, just be the best that they were intended to always be and just help them realize that path um, that's been really rewarding and it's also lifted me up to self realize my own journey and what i needed to do in my own space at the same time so i feel like we've really grown together over the last 12 to 16 months.
0: Actually i want to applaud your courage i want to applaud your leadership for the work that you're doing at uh, Renovation you obviously are a woman who, who lives for values i've seen it firsthand. And I think with advocates for the future, advocates uh, for inclusion, advocates for progress like you at the leadership table, the way Canada will look in 10, 15 years from now with the work that you and I and others around our table do today will, in my opinion, reflect uh, a brighter, uh, more inclusive happier future i think for most not all not everyone around the table <laughs> will want to see <laughs> more, <laughs> more women at the table or more folks uh, that uh, have an indian heritage or a chinese heritage or We're
1: not that bad you know, bad, you know. <laughs> heritage,
0: you know. Um, maybe not everyone wants it and i'm aware of that uh i just uh, i'm just aware that um it's important for those those folks to start embracing what that t- change can look like now. And my message uh, of inclusion is not one of you losing anything, it's how do you grow from here?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, if you've made room, if one has made room in their life for Greek history or Roman history, um, or you've taken a look at uh, other Eastern and Western European history, and you've made room in your life for that, and you embrace italian food and you love french cuisine and you love traveling to spain because you want to go to barcelona and have tapas
1: um now i want tapas you know what? there's <laughs> the food
0: i think i think the the indicator the point i'm making there is that you know for those folks who aren't interested in, in embracing it the good news is you've already started you just have to you know open up the, the table a bit more to accept cuisine from other areas of the world as well, in addition right. to your Spanish tapas.
1: It's, so, it's socialization, I, I think in the sense of, in, in an organization, you know, being able to, you had mentioned earlier, you know, driving policy and driving change um, is is challenging. Uh, to say the least, and, and you know, because change is typically driven from HR, you know, when they get together and, and create these wonderful systems and policies and structure around how the company should look, think, and feel, and then it's who's driving that change, right? So it's the leaders within the company. Um, and, you know, we need to um, allow those organizations which are um, experiencing challenges, to say the least, um, those those people just get to the point of being um, evolved out of the organization in one way or another <laughs> to say that nicely or to be socialized out because um, you know let's face it we are looking at a lot of very worldly and uh, different mindsets coming through our millennials you know I have children that are millennials and younger and the way they think act and in, in feel I mean even myself I think my own daughter has has corrected me on things where I think I'm being completely politically perfect, and she said, "No, mom, like you need to say it like this." And I Probably said, "Oh perfect. my gosh!" <laughs> you know, and, and, I, and I'm like, "Wow, I feel horrible." You know, but but it's it's just sometimes it's it's a shift. It's it's some in some some it's some it's a it's a canyon, and mm. and, and and some it's an unachievable gap. Right. And so that's where they fall through and they find themselves the door eventually. And I do believe I will, we will see more of that happening because we're going to socialize um, and, and, and pressure. It's it's going to come to a space where those organizations will not survive. Right. Yeah.
0: Uh, you know, I uh, like I said, uh, I, I spent a lot of time thinking deeply and reflecting, but also acting because uh you know there's a bit of wisdom that says that faith without works is dead you have to do in addition to believe you have to get up and do something about it um and what's fascinating about that is uh you know there are specific things and actions that i've taken in my life some of which you know uh, on a personal level so the change uh, there's another bit of wisdom that says that we are to be the change that we wish to see in the world and i think uh in our conversations i am elated and encouraged to call you a friend and to celebrate your successes as you create change in the future, not only in the Canadian landscape, but likely across the U.S. with the work that you're doing with Renovation. Angeline, we are very pleased to have you here on Pangea Talks and would welcome you back at any time. Thanks for joining us today. Bye-bye. Now. <laughs>